You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. How many of you believe in Jesus? Of course, we believe in the Lord. I'm going to put the title of my message up. We begin by reading Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now we know that uh, it is not the Lord's plan or desire to put anyone to shame. He wants to uh, bless us and fill us with life. And all we need to do is remember to always cry out the name of Jesus, cry out to God, confessing before men, and really the foundation of our salvation and our entrance into the kingdom of Almighty God depends entirely upon our ability to believe. Uh, we know that the covenant of old was what Abraham did. It said that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. And uh, belief is good, important. We believe and our belief in the only begotten Son of God, of course, is the only means by which we can be regenerated from our old sinful existence to our new purified and eventually glorified permanence with God for eternity. We are on our way, being changed day by day. It says we're changed from glory to glory, metamorphosized. So we believe and we speak that belief from the heart and we're saved from destruction. This is a basic principle. However, believing is not always as simple as it seems. And belief in itself, standing alone, becomes a, a little bit elusive. And this is what I discovered on this study that I made in the Bible about all the times that people believed in Jesus. I actually hunted down everywhere it says that they believed in Jesus or believed in something connected to Jesus. In other words, they believed in Jesus, but in each of the cases that I studied, I found that they believed in him for different reasons. And he was not happy about all those reasons. And I do find that belief in itself is powerful, but you have to believe in exactly the right thing. You have to believe according to the right formula. And so there are many different categories or types of believing. And we see throughout the scripture surrounding Jesus that people are believing. But it says, James says it right. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So, oh, I believe. I'm a believer. But really, what technically do you believe in? What is your level of belief? How are you believe? Because belief is progressive. Belief is something that, that grows. And we learn. We discover. Think about how much more you understand and believe in God today than you did just a year ago, two years ago, because of progressive revelation. So we're growing, and that's what Jesus did to all those that believed in him. The ones that says, well, Jesus believed, um, I mean, they said they believed in Jesus, and we see all of these different things. So we're going to see seven categories of belief in Jesus, because believing in itself is not the answer. A lot of people believe that, though. In other words, they believe that any kind of faith is okay. 
Isn't that true? In the world, they think as long as you believe there are many ways to God, many different ways, you just need to believe in something. And whether you are this religion or that religion or of this faith or this persuasion, ultimately, really, it's the, just the powers in believing. And it can be a misguided thought or philosophy that can cause us to go astray. So believing in itself is not the answer. We find that there must be belief specifically in Christ concerning what he's done for us and an acceptance of that truth without doubt. So we're on this progressive road, like the man born blind. You know, in the ninth chapter of uh, John, I was looking at it this morning, studying it, and uh, how that man was born blind. And of course, the disciples wanted to know who's, who's, who sinned, his parents or him, that he would be born blind. He said, neither is so that the works of God could be displayed. And he spat on the ground, made mud, stuck it in the man's eyes, and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He went, washed, came back, seen. And he went home and told his neighbors. Well, his neighbors saw him and wanted to know, how is it that you're seen? And some said, no, that's not, that's not him. He just looks like him. And they said, no, it's him. And if he spoke up and said, it's me, it's me, I promise. And so they said, well, how can you see? And they said, well, some guy named Jesus. That's all he knew. It was a progressive revelation. At that point, all he knew was that Jesus was the guy's name. And in fact, he doesn't say Jesus. He just says the one they call Jesus. So he didn't even directly encounter or speak to him in that regard. He just knew what well, they called him Jesus. In fact, he may have gone back after he was seen and asked people, what happened to that guy? What's his name? Then he found out, well, his name was Jesus. Because there's no record there in the scripture that he was approaching Jesus to ask for healing. It just says, as they came along, they saw a man that was born blind. He couldn't see them, obviously, but they saw him. And they were just escaping from an almost stoning, actually. In fact, it's immediately connected to the 8th chapter of John, where Jesus was running away from a group of people that had trouble believing in him, although it says they believed in him. We're going to save those guys for last in this message because it's a fascinating study when you break down the process of his discourse to them because it, it parenthetically states, and Jesus said this to the ones that believed in him. But by the end of that conversation, they're picking up stones to kill him. So apparently Jesus didn't quite agree with their system of belief, even though the Bible says they believed. And so that's what initially started me on this hunt. And I started looking into it and considering the man born blind. Of course, he progressively grew. And they took him to the Pharisees. And who is this guy that did that to you? Well, he, he's a prophet, he said. He gave him the highest title of honor there is in all the land. A prophet that's not higher than a prophet. Prophets are above kings. And they were mad at him and said, go get his parents. And they brought his parents. One thing led to another. And as those of you who have been through the core, you know I teach it as progressive belief, how we grow. Because it went from that honor to him finally even defending Jesus and saying that well, you don't want to be his disciples too, do you? And they have got furious at him, of course, and threatened him and eventually threw him out. And when Jesus heard that he had been rejected for the sake of naming his name and believing the way that he did, Jesus came to him and said, do you believe in the Son of, uh, Son of Man? And he said, well, tell me who he is. I'll believe in him. He says, well, I'm the guy right here in front of you. And it says he believed in him and he worshipped him. He had that direct encounter. So belief is progressive. We don't always immediately believe everything correctly when we first even, quote, unquote, get saved. 
We throw that term around, get saved. That usually is referring to the sinner's prayer or something we say. But b belief is deeper than what it is at the surface. And so that's what this message is about. Seven categories of belief. And let's start with number one. How many of you are interested in this message? You want to hear this message? Okay. Lord, help us to comprehend what it means to believe. Number one is belief in the name of Jesus. Now, we just got finished doing this in worship because this is a good one. But really, it's just kind of like the, it's like this is the fuse you light to the Jesus bomb that blows up in your face later and takes care of everything in your life. But it starts with his name. John chapter 2, verse 23 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Now for the reasons why they believed in his name are varied. But here we see they believed in his name. John 3, 18. And this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus right after the famous passage, For God so loved the world, he sent his own son to die for us. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The name of the only begotten Son of God, of course, is Jesus of Nazareth. Acts chapter 12, verse 11, where it says, Jesus is... The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And of course, Peter knew this. Remember who's saying this. This is Peter. And Peter was the first one to even recognize that he was the Christ. Who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Christ. Well, flesh and blood don't reveal that to you. So there's power in the very name of Jesus. That's why people stray away from using it. That's why people do not mention it in mixed company. That's why instead of using the name, they say God. Instead of naming Jesus in certain television environments or media, they play it safe and say, God, you know why they're doing that? Well, they just don't want to make waves. Yes, but we have to think and consider that they're using it because it's less aggressive and therefore less powerful and less able to change. Because anyone can fill in the blank of God and claim many different things. But that name, that name is so irritating. I've seen people get furious at that name when you mention that name. Try anyone that does not know Christ, anyone out there, and just start talking and mention Jesus several times in a conversation and they will start to scratch themselves. Why is that? Because spirits are afraid of that name. If there's any chains on someone, anyone in bondage, when the name Jesus keeps coming up, it, it grates on those spirits, those strongholds, that demonic oppression in people's lives. And so they will often, by the name, revert to some form of violence against the person mentioning the name. And it's not even always their understanding of why they're doing it. They're doing it because of the spirits that are offended at the name. Well, then, God forbid, we offend the demons. Let's not use that name. No, use the powerful name of Jesus. When you pray, pray in the name of Jesus. Mention it. It's important. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. This is Joseph. And said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home 
as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So specifically, this name, the name of Jesus, was given. Actually, you can compare it to a password. How many of you have accounts, and those accounts are protected how? With a password. Some type of sequence. Often you are asked by the people that from through which you have the accounts, they want you to change the password. They want a more complex password. It drives me crazy because I, I basically have a, a simple password that I use, but it's not easy to guess, although it's simple. And if you ever want a really good password, ask me later, and I can tell you a secret on how to make an impenetrable password that nobody will ever think of, but is simple for you to remember. Or you can private message me, and I'll tell you how to do it. But bottom line is this. Jesus, the very name, is a password. And if you don't say Jesus, you won't get into certain accounts. Some things won't happen. You won't access certain banks, certain amounts of blessings, because the name is what unlocks it. Without the password, you cannot open the door to heaven. By no other name, by no other path. There's no other way. Jesus is the only way to the Father. So if heaven were visualized as a place like some private condominium where you must input some type of numerical sequence or it's like the Pentagon or some government office with special encrypted or hidden things that they must keep out of the eye of the public, there's that pad with the numbers and the people know the code they have to put in there. Well, that's exactly what it's like for heaven. You're going to have to use the name Jesus. God is not enough. The name God is not enough. You can use all the other names in the Bible you want, but how many passwords can you use in any account you have? Only one. I don't know, maybe there is an account out there that has multiple passwords that you can use simultaneously. I've, I don't have any of those and I've never seen it. But believe me, the, the password to eternity is Jesus. And we have to use it to get in. That's why I say they believed in the name of Jesus. Extremely important. Uh, we don't have time to go into all the scriptures that talk about believing in the name of Jesus. Because I want to look at these seven categories. The second category, number two, is belief in testimony about Jesus. John chapter 4, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Her testimony stated this. He told me everything I've ever done. Now, we know who this is. This is the woman at the well. She had a remarkable encounter with Jesus, where Jesus basically told her everything she'd ever did. Said to her directly, you're right that you don't have a husband because the one you have now is not your husband. In fact, you've had five. And how could he have possibly known that? So that opened her eyes. She had an experience. She found out who he was. She believed that it could be the Christ. And so she went and told everyone that testimony. Her testimony was based upon what she experienced. That's all your testimony it is, is. You speak what you've experienced. Testimonies are powerful. Testimony concerning Christ, 
And your experience with Jesus is extremely important. In fact, you can overcome Antichrist with it. It's one of the most powerful things in your arsenal, in your defense. It says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. They had these in their arsenal, of which was testimony. So this testimony goes back to the village. And when the Samaritans came to him, that is Jesus, they urged him, because he waited there at the well, to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said, in fact, to the woman, I don't know why it goes into these details to say it this way, but it does. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now, I found it interesting in this context of the fourth chapter of John that as he is there, it says nothing about him doing miracles. It only says he's talking. And we know that he was a great speaker. As it was said of his own disciples, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So as words came out of his mouth, I'm sure that it was a glorious thing to sit and hear him. And they believed based upon the words that Jesus spoke to them. At first, however, they believed in testimony about Jesus. And I think that pretty much is true of everybody. How did you come to know Jesus? Was it based upon a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus? Did Jesus come to you privately and speak to you, and that's how you believed in him? Some people have that. Some people had that experience, that young girl I told you about, that Muslim girl that had that experience, and I love um, uh, meeting that girl. She had that experience. I've met other people who have had that experience. But most of us have come to know Jesus and believe in him based upon the testimony of others. Those people testified. And this is the most common form of it. I heard stories, really, uh, that people told me about Jesus before I knew him. I heard testimonies, but honestly, I completely doubted them. When they told me things, I just simply saw it as religion, and I didn't accept it. So I was kind of a hard nut to crack. Some people are told they hear it, they receive the word rejoicing, they're happy, they may get saved again, they receive, they have that process happen in their life where they believe in it, but not me, it was not easy for me. People would witness me here and there, they would try to tell me I was not interested, I thought they were all phonies, and I did not receive Jesus until I had personal experiences with him. I was a harder nut to crack, as I said. So I wanted to believe earlier in life I had the desire to believe, but for me, testimony of others did not quite put me there, at least not for salvation. Testimony of others about Jesus touches me deeply now that I know him, because when I hear a testimony that is valid, it resonates with my soul, because I know him personally. But many believe in testimony about Jesus, and sometimes their whole salvation experience is based upon that. That does not mean they can't be saved. It, it means they can go to heaven. There are many people, I'm sure, on their deathbed were simply told in those last minutes, just believe in Jesus. Say this with me. Believe in your heart that Jesus died. In fact, that happened with a young woman that I know that was in uh, another church, and she said that her father was dying, and I went to the hospital, and we spoke very briefly, and he mentioned how he had been a bad man. 
and that, you know, it's too late for him. If only he'd lived his life differently. And I took him by the hand and I told him, look, it does not matter. All you need is Jesus. And he had been weak and laying back. But when I asked him, do you believe in Jesus? He grabbed my hand with force. He pulled his body out of the bed. He locked eyes on my eyes. And he said, I believe in Jesus. And a big smile came onto my face because I heard the angels in heaven break out into a chorus. I knew that guy right there. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Just that simple. Based upon what? Based upon my testimony. And it's powerful. The testimony of great evangelists can bring many thousands. Now that man did not have much time. Within less than a day or two, he passed on. But I was so glad that he was able to pray to receive Jesus. His daughter was not really aware of what had happened, even though she had been the one that called me in. I didn't have a time to interact with until afterward when I told her she was so happy to hear that. Of course she would be. Because the rest of the family just didn't seem quite to get him to respond that way. Sometimes people just associate with a pastor something other. But of course, any testimony about Jesus can change people's lives. Now we see that the people of the village here in this passage we're talking about, they started by believing what the woman had to say, but later their testimony graduated based upon their direct interaction with Jesus, their exposure to Jesus. And how do you and I expose ourselves to Christ? Well, we do so through the scriptures. We do so in prayer. Worship, for me, is a very big one. Worship brings me into the throne room of the king, and I meet him and interact with him, and I feel wonderful things. So it's interesting to note that, that as I said, none of, none of this, these words that are spoken here uh, concerning miraculous power or signs, none of that was spoken of while Jesus was there. It was just teaching. It simply said that he, he, they heard his words and believed. So it's a very important testimony. It's important to believe by what is said and accepted, or I can say more important. In fact, it's more important to believe by what is said and accepted than by through signs and wonders. And this is where I find that Jesus spoke often about that. And I never really put it together until I did this study. But Jesus often was saying, you seek signs and wonders, therefore I'm not going to do any. He often was telling people, you're just looking for a sign. Like he had an issue about it. And I was always kind of puzzled about that because wasn't that his gig? Isn't that kind of what he did? The miracle man? So what's wrong with doing signs and wonders when that pretty much was his, his um, standard form of operation? Because when he says it, I contextually went back and studied each of the passages where he makes specifically that note. And it's because their belief system was misaligned. And they were, instead of believing for the reason of Jesus himself, they were believing in the signs and the wonders. And that's dangerous because we can even do that today. We can do that in the body of Christ. But as I said, it's more important to believe by what's said. And our salvation is built upon that. We were just quoting Romans a little while ago. Here is again Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the one they, whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So here again is that testimony, but testimony through a preacher.
And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful the feet of those that bring good news. The good news is a testimony about Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, euagelion that we studied some time back. We believe in that. We accept it. Then we say we believe it, and that is salvation. That's simple. And it's important that we see this. In fact, the first one, believing directly in his name, is good. Believing in testimony compounds that. But these are two different categories. Now we're going to go on. I'm going to speak more in a moment about the need to be careful not to overemphasize belief built upon feelings and belief built upon signs and wonders and experiences because that is something Jesus took issue with. Number three, here we find it, belief in the miracles of Jesus. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, I want to think a little bit about this nobleman. This nobleman was a member of the community there in Cana of Galilee, Later, I'm sure it was discovered what had happened after the banquet about the multiplication of the wine. Word obviously got out eventually, although at the banquet they did not know. So this man had heard about a miracle. So now that he has a problem with his son, that's what he's placing a demand upon. He's placing his demand upon a miracle. Jesus was simply a channel through which the miracle would come, but his priority was really on the miracle to save his son, as would be any one of us. If we have a son or daughter or child who's suffering, we just want to see the child made well. But Jesus goes on to say here, Jesus said to him, unless you believe, uh, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Why would he say this in this context of this poor man looking for the healing of his son? He implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus' answer to that is, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. This is one of those occasions where Jesus is taking issue with this. In study, I found out when he says this, he's detecting something in the person that is a misaligned belief, that they should be focused on him, but instead they're focused on the miracles. We can do this in the church. We can do this in worship. You can be in the presence of the miraculous power of God, in the presence in worship, and be more focused on worship than in the emotional effects of worship sometimes can you, than you actually will be on Jesus himself. I'm not saying that any of you are guilty of that, but I know for a fact that it can happen. Some people can be more into the worship process than actually the one being worshipped. Certainly true of worship leaders. I've seen many worship leaders around the world that do not seem to have a real connect with God. And it makes no sense to me that if that's your position to be a worship leader, you should be completely, you, there should be some evidence of your connect and your intimacy with God. But I find often they're very technical and they're focused not on the one they're worshiping, but on the process of the worship. And to me, I can always feel the lack of connect that results in that. And I think this is part of what Jesus is talking about here. And he says it. 
Unless you people see signs and wonders, you by no means believe. Well, the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He, he's not even arguing. He's just saying, look, all I know is my boy is going to die. Please. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. So now Jesus has associated or connected belief as not the cart before the horse, but the horse before the cart. He made the man believe before the signs and wonders were witnessed. And that's what caught my eye, and I really started thinking about faith. Because what is faith? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, right? Without it, we cannot please God. Faith is something we believe about something that is not, and hope is connected to the same. And it is the only thing that Jesus is looking for when he comes back. He's looking for faith. It's the only thing that he was wowed by or amazed on earth was faith and the complete lack thereof in his own hometown. Anytime major miracles took place, he said, your faith has made you whole. Jesus was interested in faith. In other words, as it says in the Bible, faith is believing. He was interested in them believing in him as source. Why he was so impressed with the woman with the issue of blood? Because she knew that Jesus was the origin of power. Her focus was on Jesus. Although she wanted power, although she wanted a miracle, she knew that she had to go to the source to get it, which was a direct touching of the garment of Jesus. And so Jesus was striving and working for people to make that connect. Come before she does. Jesus said, go your way. And, and he went and believed. And as he was um, now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. So now we see the horse before the cart, the right order. But when people are focused on the miracle, and I, and I saw this today, I really started thinking, wow. I wonder if a lot of people are not getting the miracles they're looking for because they're looking for miracles. You understand? What if they're not getting the healings they're looking for because their seeking is for healing? You need to find the source. It's simple. If I, if I needed a loaf of bread, I should go to, to the bakery. If I'm seeking for it. I shouldn't seek the bread. I should seek the source of the bread, the bakery. I don't know. It's just a thought. But I think it has some value to it. Without faith, we cannot please him. That has to come. We must first believe that he is and then that he's a rewarder of the ones that seek him. So the believing in him comes first in the formula. You notice. Without faith, it's impossible. You must first, it says it, you must first believe. You must, in first place, believe that he is. That is, believe in Jesus. And then after, believe that he's a rewarder of the ones that are diligently seeking. So the order is correct there. And that's what the whole issue is with Jesus and these things that he is picking nits about in this process. And so although Jesus used them, these miracles, to convince the masses, at times we found that the signs and wonders were not a cure weren't always a cure-all for the problem of disbelief in Jesus. 
because many people saw miracles and experienced the power and the presence of God and saw the demonstrations, but says that they did not believe in Jesus. They saw the miracles and said he was Beelzebub and that he was full of the devil. They did exactly the opposite. So we can't conclude the signs and wonders will make all the difference. It's not a cure-all. I've seen it with my own eyes. We had a man in our ministry in Acapulco who had a gangrenous leg that was set for amputation. And the circulation had totally stopped. His toes were black. His foot was black. It was black and then purplish up by the time you got to the middle of his thigh. And finally, the necrotic flesh stopped just above the knee. And they had a purple line, a perforation line. Literally, the surgeons had mapped out, gave him a whole load of antibiotics and prepared him for surgery the next day where they were going to amputate his leg. He was diabetic. And some sisters in the church went and laid hands on him and prayed for him. And as they prayed for him, the line of demarcation from necrotic flesh to living flesh traveled down the leg. And they watched his leg. They remember they said it was pink. That his leg was like a newborn baby's pink skin. And God healed his leg. Then the miracle happened. They told him about Jesus. He cried. Of course, he rejoiced. He canceled the surgery, no doubt. But then he disappeared and they didn't know what happened to him. Well, turned out sometime later that he was gone for a greater part of uh, a couple of weeks because he had made a pilgrimage into the mountains to give offerings to the Virgin Mother on the mountain for the healing. So the miracles, even real valid miracles, do not necessarily connect someone to Jesus. That's not the only case like that we saw in Mexico where people received something and didn't under, I've, I've watched it happen many times. So belief, that's why Jesus often refrained from doing things like this. Because he could sense when there was order and when there was disorder in the alignment of beliefs. And I say it this way. I recommend that you develop a relationship of faith in Jesus and believing in him with or without signs and wonders. Put that first. If, if I never witnessed, for me, if I never witnessed another miracle and never again experienced signs and wonders or the manifest power of God in my life, I know that I will continue to believe the same way I believe. If suddenly it dried up today and for the rest of my life I had to live to 120 years of age without seeing or feeling anything, it makes no difference to my heart. Because I know the truth. And the truth is not connected to those things in my life and my world. I'm glad I have them, but I see them as a fringe benefit to the faith that has caused my soul to be saved. And this is where I believe people get mixed up. This is my faith. It's not dependent upon what God does for me right now. But it's depending upon what he did 2,000 years ago. My faith is built upon Calvary and then the tomb and the resurrection. My faith is not built upon uh, April 7th, 845 AM, 1995 and all the subsequent encounters and encounters before that. I've had amazing encounters. I've seen celestial things and God has revealed so much to me. I've seen miracles happen through my hands. I've had miracles happen to me. You can take them all away and it will not affect the way that I believe in Jesus. Because I never built my salvation on that. 
I built some intimacy on it. I built some interactions, no different than a romance would be. But in actuality, my faith is built on the cross. It has to be. And who died on the cross? Jesus. It has to be on Jesus. Because honestly, I see a lot of people that fall away from Jesus when they put too much hope in miraculous signs and wonders. I've seen it. And the reason this happens is because uh, they claim to have great faith and belief for miracles. But when those miracles don't occur, they become angry with God. And they doubt and they lose their faith. Why would you lose your faith if God doesn't give you what you're asking him for? That means your faith is not set on Jesus. It's set on the things you get from Jesus. And that really exposes something of the human heart. And I have met many people. But honestly, that kind of believing is shallow. And it's a shallow type of faith. And it, it is not the kind of faith that will bring us to our home in heaven. And it, it, we will easily be misguided, we'll easily fall away because things are never going to work out exactly how you want them to work out. And Jesus said that of the Pharisees themselves. He said, you're like children in the marketplace. You play the flute and say, dance to our dirge. You're playing games. We don't play games. We believe faith is built upon invisible things. Miracles are visible. Those things you can see. But the things that matter are not the things we see. Be cautious. Number four. Here we see belief in Jesus by deductive reason. By empirical evidence. This is by proofs. There's nothing wrong with this. But it must be reserved as a component of your faith and not your faith itself. I'll explain this after I read the passage. John chapter 7, verse 28. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. In other words, when they heard them using this basic proof of miracles as the criteria to prove who Christ is, who the Messiah is, it alarmed them. So these words they use, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these, that this show a pattern of deductive reasoning to establish belief in Jesus. Now, this is a category of faith, you understand. It's a category of believing. And there are many people who make their entrance into a relationship with Christ based upon this. In other words, they needed something, God did it and proved himself to them. And as a result of that, they received Jesus. A lot of missions works are dependent upon this. People go into villages, they preach the gospel. God does a miracle. People believe because the miracle was witnessed. This is exactly how Jesus operated. And it's good for ministry work. 
It's good to establish and open doors and make things start to change in environments of society and in people groups. But ultimately, what real value does it have in the eternal picture? But they are deductively reasoning here. And they're thinking. They were experiencing seeing miracles and therefore basing their belief on empirical evidence gathered by human observation. They saw these miracles. Well, this must be the Christ because look what he's doing. And that's good. Jesus didn't have, that's why Jesus was doing it. But this can be flawed when it comes to seeking an eternal solution. Because I find that signs and wonders are often, and the miracles that we experience and the things that we, we tend to base our belief system on are temporal things, not eternal things. I'm not talking about our worship experiences when we are weeping in the presence of God and making contact with the heavenlies and we are in the, you feel yourself in the throne room of God and the, all those things, those are personal spiritual experiences. I'm talking about actual tangible things. I'm talking about whether or not God provides your needs. I'm talking about whether or not your casserole falls or stays inflated because you prayed and believed or whether or not a loved one passes or remains alive. We pray for these things, whether they can or cannot happen. It's in God's hands. Horrible things happen to Job. Oh, no, Job, again, it started today. I don't know if you read the one-year Bible with me, but I woke up this morning, 4.30, opened my Bible. Oh, oh, I didn't see it coming. I forgot that Job started today. But I, I, I love it. It's a love-hate relationship with that book, honestly. But it challenges you about what you believe. Think about it. If anybody was trying to build their faith in God on empirical evidence, Job was in a bad place. And that's why everybody else said, just curse God and die. His own wife was trying to convince him. Because obviously he don't care about you. Look how everything has fallen apart. Look at all this loss, this disease, this problem, that problem. The raiders, the Sabians came and took away your animals. And this happened and that happened. And they were giving him all the reasons why he should deny and, and blame God for that. But he refused to. Why? Because he was a man of faith. He had faith built upon the right thing. Now, he didn't know Jesus the way we know him today, but he knew God Almighty. He was connected to him in an Old Testament paradigm. But it can be a flawed system for us if we're not careful when we have a wrong focus. So I ask this question. What if one lives their entire life without ever experiencing a miracle? Can they be saved? Of course Thief on the cross, as far as we know, didn't see any miracles. He watched a man die as he died himself. We don't know that that thief was in the crowds, in the temple, or, or saw any miracles at all. He'd heard things, obviously. He suspected that was Messiah, and he named it and said, he's a great man, and as a result ended up, because why? He believed in Jesus. The other guy was looking for signs and wonders. Rescue us. Get us out of this dilemma. But the thief that connected correctly to Jesus is the one that said, oh, well, you know, we deserve this. I deserve this. This is just the way it is. But just remember me when you, when you go to your home. Remember me when you uh, pass on to that other room. He said, you know what, man? Today you'll be with me in paradise. What encouraging words to hear in the very last seconds of your life as you're fading out and losing your consciousness to know that you're gone. And I'm sure he closed his eyes and opened them in paradise. I would have loved to have made that trip.
so amazing it is to me to imagine seeing Abraham. And Abraham just walking up to you. Hey, how you doing? My name is Abraham. I know who you are, man. You, I, just, I can't believe I studied you my whole life. But anyway, what if you never encounter the Holy Spirit? This is a question. Hey, I've met many, many believers that are doing more for Jesus than most I've ever seen, and they don't even believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> they don't. There are people out there that have no relation with the Holy Spirit whatsoever, but they're turning the world upside down for Jesus. So we can't say, you see, again, you see the misalignment of beliefs. I think it'd be great if they had that relationship and that they knew what we know about the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, it has less to do with that and more to do with a direct obedience to the words of Christ, what Jesus is saying. Now, in this next one we're about to go to in a moment, before we do, I want to set up for it. Uh, we see a rather lengthy discourse of Jesus while he was addressing a specific crowd of people that had believed in him. And we see Jesus here finding flaws in their belief system, picking them out, exposing them, and dismantling their erroneous faith process in an attempt to reach them. And by doing so, he provokes the results of his efforts are frightening and expose important facts about belief when it is inadequate. And that's number five, belief in Jesus that is inadequate. You can have inadequate belief. Well, you mean there's adequate belief? Yes. Remember what we started with, said even the demons believe. So just belief in itself is not enough. You have to specifically believe in the things. In John chapter 8, verse 30, it says, As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay, now this freedom that he's talking about, obviously, is salvation. In the beginning of this discourse, he's talking to people that what? Many believed in him. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. So the whole point is this is a group of believers. Ah, what difference is this in the church? If I call together 300 Christians and we go into a conference room and we sit together, and I'm, I mean, it's exciting. I mean, I like hearing teachings. I like coming together. I believe, but they, we all have different levels of types of kinds of belief, and that's what Jesus was always looking for. I'm very excited. By accident, uh, I ended up being included in Thursday night. I'm going to be in Bali uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday come back Saturday morning, and um, I was arranging a meeting on Thursday night, and then I received note that uh, Quentin is actually going to be in a conference. And I said, well, what conference? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's with Ravi Zacharias. And I said, can I go? And they got me an invite. So I'm going to the, to the Ravi Zacharias uh, uh, meeting there in Bali, which I'm really excited about. Very few people do I want to listen to. But that guy, if you've ever heard him before, go check him out. He gives some of the most amazing answers to questions especially. He's the closest thing to the kind of gainsay I think Jesus spoke with that I've heard when they give him trouble with questions. Because they, they, you know, they, he's, he can, he's not really an apologist. But anyway, you can fill a room full of believers and they can come together. 
I can fill the church. And that's basically what you have surrounding Jesus here is people who were Jews. In other words, they were from the same religion as Jesus, but they're not necessarily believing in Jesus. That's why Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now, this is kind of a demeaning term that he's throwing at them. Methetes, disciple, learner. You're my students. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Now, this term, make you free, in the Greek means to to take the chains off of and liberate a slave. That's why they answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So he's talking about salvation here, is he not? He's talking about knowing Jesus as the source of salvation and being saved because of Jesus. If you abide in my word, if you're my disciple, he said, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And he says in verse 36, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He's addressing them and telling now they respond. And first of all, Jesus is responding to what they said concerning we are Abraham's descendants, which, by the way, this is not the only time this has happened. Remember, on another occasion, they said, uh, we have Abraham. And he said, don't, don't say that we have Abraham, thinking that that's going to save you. This is God can raise children up out of these rocks. That's what he said to them. So we see the misalignment of belief here diverging into religion versus Jesus. So their association with the social order of Judaism and their connection to Abraham is what their faith is built upon. Be careful not to put your faith on your church. You, of course, want to be in your church. You want to work in the church, the body of Christ. But Jesus is the focus. He must be the all-in-all all most important component of everything we do. You can have a ministry and lose focus of Jesus. You can have a church or be an avid member of a church and lose focus of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. He wants them free. Just like he's not willing that any should perish. He says, the Son will make you free. You'll be free indeed. And he goes on to try to help them. He says, look, I know you are Abraham's descendants. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Now, this is interesting that he's saying this to the people of which the scripture says these are the ones that believed in him. And he's addressing them in this manner because he's exposing their heart. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. There they go, naming their religion again. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not, this, did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And then, course now they're defending themselves Jesus got them all riled up they're upset because people don't want to hear that maybe 
their belief system is askewed or not correct. People don't. People like to hang on to many different beliefs in light of meeting Jesus. I have found that to be true. I've seen people rejoice in the gospel, but then retain many beliefs in line with Jesus, parallel to Jesus, and uh, the shelf is kind of crowded. And Jesus does not want that. And Jesus here is refusing to share that shelf. He says, you believe in me? You accept what I have to say. You listen to my teachings. You be my disciple, and I'll set you free from the slavery you're in. We're not slaves. What are you talking about? And he's gone on to identify the problem. Your alignment and your allegiance to your religion, in fact, is not governed by my father, but by your father. And he's setting them up for a very disturbing piece of information. Because they're saying, oh, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. They're claiming their father is God. Jesus said to them in verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. Wow. Imagine if a preacher stood in front of a church and shared such a message and identified something and addressed it that way. What are the people going to do? I know not, not that long back I heard some references about uh, a recent visit to church in the U.S. Um, uh, the, that where David Hogan preached. And they say David Hogan just like he brought fire and brimstone down on the church. And he preached very hard. I knew it was bad because I did not hear even one testimony about the meetings. And there were several of them. He had like a mini group of meetings. And nobody, not one person from that church told me not even one thing about what. Finally, we inquired and found there was one person that said, oh, it was rough. He said some things. And yes, David will do that. David preaches like Jesus preaches. David don't mind getting thrown out of church. He's been exiled from many churches for just preaching what? Preaching truth. And he will preach the truth. I love the truth. Then the Jews answered and said to him in verse 48, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now they go on and say, then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, you shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. 
It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he sought and was glad. And the Jews said to him, goes on in verse 57, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Of course, he's making reference to Jehovah. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. He snuck away very quickly, just in time, got away from them as they were picking up stones. I picture him and Peter and the disciples running, and people with stones running out, and he's literally running away. And it's so funny, because whenever I picture him, he has a smile on his face, because he just knows he preached one of the best messages he ever preached, and he was happy about it. You're not preaching if you're not thrown out of a church for it. He sent away. It's not the only message he did. He often preached messages that got people upset. But he preached the truth. Because why? He wanted belief to be aligned correctly. And honestly, it all comes down to Jesus. Belief in Jesus. Belief in his words. Becoming his disciple. The truth is Jesus and what he teaches. And if you build your house on any other foundation, the floods will come and wipe it out. The wind will blow it over. But if you put your life on the words that Jesus taught. Number six, belief in Jesus that is limited. Now, the first one we saw there, of course, was belief that is inadequate because they obviously, even though they believed, their belief system was not adequate and Jesus tore it to shreds. So now we're going to see a limited belief. John chapter 12, verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. You understand that's partial belief. Salvation comes not just through believing, but through confessing. They held back their confession, although they believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus. It's so sad. They were that close. But they were afraid, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Is the praise of men worth your eternal destiny? Gosh. So the thing about believing in Jesus is that it is, it's something that is born from the heavenly realms of the Father. Proper belief, not partial belief, but complete belief, which we're going to get to in a minute. It's something that comes from above. Remember when Peter confessed? 
And he said, you're the Christ. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that. The Father in heaven has put that in your heart. So here we see a battle in mind and reason amongst the Jews that greatly limited their ability to believe in Jesus. The battle was about their position, their status. This is common to all men to this day. There's so many people come so close, but because of auntie, uncle, father, mother, brother, or comrade or, or work cohort, someone, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband or wife, for some reason they do not go to the realm of confession. So their belief is not adequate. It is not complete. They're halfway there. And I look at the scripture in Mark chapter 12, verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, in other words, carefully, he didn't want to get in trouble. He said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So smart answers are not always right believing. This can limit us. Intelligence can certainly get in the way. Interesting to see this, the way this unfolds. Blinded their eyes. And so uh, if we believe in Jesus. That's all you have to do. Just, Jesus said it simply, only believe. Just believe in Jesus. Everything else has to be secondary. Everything else. I like this last one. We're going to end with this. Number seven. Belief in Jesus that is complete. And after eight days, this is John 20, 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. And he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. and Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, the real faith that honors Jesus is not the faith of what's proven to you, but the faith that you simply believe. You just believe in your mind and in your heart. You believe. Even when, when it is unpopular, when people are critical of it, you still you believe it. You hold on to it. That's complete belief. Unwavering belief. Thomas wavered. Thomas, of course, is known as the doubter. The others also wavered. They were all doubters in many cases. But in this particular case, Thomas made those statements to extreme. That unless I can see the holes in his hands and in his side and put my hand. He said it. Jesus was like, all right, is that what it's going to take? And he said it obnoxiously to him because he's challenging him. Is that it? That's what you want to do, huh, Thomas? Come on. Come here. Picks up his garment, shows him the hole. Stick your hand in. Go ahead. And what embarrassment you would feel if you're looking at the glorified Christ right in front of you and, and there, standing, asking you. And do not be unbelieving, but believing, he tells him. And I think that's a good command for us today, for all of us. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. Make sure your belief is focused in Jesus. All these beliefs, we look at them all categorically in the end. Believing in him, seven categories of belief. All these beliefs are important. They're progressive. We can share and live in all of these 
but be careful with the limited belief and be careful with the inadequate belief. Try to stay in the realm of belief in the name of Jesus and the testimony about Jesus. In the miracles, if you are so fortunate and blessed of God to have miracles in your life, enjoy them. Let it be a part of your belief system. It is for me, honestly. It is a strong part of my belief system, but it is not my foundation. It is a confirmation that stands in the periphery of the foundation upon which I stand, which is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, was buried and rose again. Belief in Jesus by deductive reason. Yeah, I, I can see the obvious fruit of Jesus in my life every day. But if I never saw it again, I would still believe. Belief in Jesus that is inadequate. It wasn't adequate. Even though it said, these are the ones that believed in him. They all decided, we believe in Jesus. Let's go see him speak. They all went to Jesus' church and sat there. And Jesus pulled out a message of messages that they probably really regretted having been there to see. And finally, belief in Jesus that is limited, partial. Limited by what? Limited by other people's opinions. Limited by many things. And finally, belief in Jesus that is complete. Amen?